You're listening to the Godfather and Gorney podcast on Rivals.com with your hosts, the Godfather of Recruiting, Mike Farrell, and National Recruiting Analyst, Adam Gorney. That's right. It's another edition of the Godfather and Gorney podcast here on Rivals.com. I am Dave Barry. We are coast to coast on the West Coast, myself and Adam Gorney, uh, and on the East Coast, Mike Farrell. Mike, let's uh, get started here with a few topics to go over into the, the coming weekend of college football. Let's go back a couple of days to Butch Jones. He had a, a, a kind of a tirade, or not a tirade, but a rant on the whining about the media. What did you gather from that? Yeah, it actually split the fan base pretty good because a lot of people were like, stop whining about the media and win games and beat UMass the way you're supposed to beat UMass and don't let uh, you know a, a wide receiver behind your deepest defensive back on the last play of the game against Florida and all that other good stuff. And, and then other people were in Bush's corner because he was really defending his players more than himself. But it's never a good thing to use the term fake news these days. Um it's never a good thing to whine about the media negativity uh, because it looks like you're just trying to make excuses and it's only going to make the, the media negativity uh, even focused more on negativity. So I think it was, a, it was a big error in judgment. I get where he's coming from. He's frustrated. His team is three and one. Uh, it just so happens the last couple of weeks with the Florida loss and the, how bad they looked against UMass. There's a lot of people attacking him, and, and I think the fake news reference he he made was in regards to does Butch Jones get fired if they get blown out by Georgia this weekend, which I don't think is going to happen, but was reported some places. But just never a good look, and it's not going to help the program. You know what's going to help the program? Win, and just keep winning. Don't lose games like you did to Florida. Beat UMass by four touchdowns like you should. Beat Georgia this weekend. Just win, and everybody will shut up. Dave, before I get into this topic, what happened to the uh, the start where Mike hates everything, I hate everybody, there's going to be disappointment in the Gorney household? I was disappointed not to hear that again. I'm, I'm kidding. But... It's laziness on Dave. <laughs> it's laziness. <laughs> if anybody knows anything about that, it's me. Uh, but this is really the sign of maybe the beginning of the end. Once coaches get up to the microphone and start berating the media for things like fake news and and he said some odd things about they're all friends in the room and he's friends with a lot of those guys and you know he wants them he was pointing out all the great things they should be writing about and they're all in this together kind of talk and it's you know there is that you know that fence between the coaching staff and the media or there should be at least but um yeah I mean they have to win games George is going to provide them a lot of problems this weekend. I do think it's a closely played game. <clears throat> it usually is. And, you know, Tennessee is a, is, a, is a decent enough football team. So, you know, I think, um, you know, he needs to get off of that. He didn't say the, uh, the very failing Knoxville News Sentinel, like Trump always says about the New York Times. Um, but, uh, you know, he needs to not focus on the things. He always talks about not focusing on the things off the field and then, he goes and focuses things off the field. So he needs to go and win games big. Uh, this weekend's going to be tough. It's not an easy schedule coming up with South Carolina and Alabama and Kentucky. It never is in the SEC. But, um, you know, this is usually the sign of maybe the beginning of the end uh, when, when coaches start focusing on those things off the field. And I would take that line. I would take Tennessee plus 7.5. I, I love 
when you're just over a touchdown underdog at home. I think they can cover that. I think, like you said, it's going to be close. All right. Yeah, it's never a good sign, you know, when it goes down that path of a, a struggling coach that, like we talked about, he's a little lukewarm on the on the hot seat. So uh, we'll see what happens there in Tennessee. Um, let's talk about Michigan and Jim Harbaugh. Um, you know, one thing since he's taken over, he hasn't gotten a five-star quarterback, and that's that seems like a, a glaring thing that Michigan is missing. That one missing the one thing that could put them over the top. Why do you guys think that hasn't happened yet? You know, it, it just struck me because somebody asked me. I think I forget when it was um, earlier this week about the you know when is Harbaugh going to get that elite guy and and. You know, I think there's there's talent in McCaffrey, although, you know, both Gorney and I don't really see as much as some other people do there as far as arm strength and athleticism. And, and Peters says upside, but why hasn't he won the job yet when you're talking about Wilton Spade and, and John O'Corn? So, uh, but what struck me was Steve Spurrier in his, in his years at South Carolina could never land that big time five-star quarterback you know I think Steven Garcia was the highest rated quarterback he got and um, you thought that guys would gravitate and I remember when he was first hired you know there were guys that weren't going to go there but Jimmy Clausen and some others always mentioned South Carolina interested in Spurrier because of his ability as a offensive genius um, and and a guy who can work with quarterbacks as a former quarterback so it just makes me wonder when they're going to break through when is a guy like a a Trevor Lawrence or a Justin Fields or somebody like that going to commit to Michigan because right now if you look at that team the defense is set I think the offensive line is up and down I think the running game uh, obviously is, is a bit up and down based on the line play uh, they've got some talented young wide receivers but the quarterback is the issue and and everybody is now saying well hopefully O'Corn can be the guy but should they be in this situation at this juncture where they don't have one of Harbaugh, Harbaugh's own guys there who's a heavily recruited five-star guy, I, I would think kids would gravitate like like Andrew Luck did to him when he went to Stanford. I think there might be three things here, and I could be wrong on, on any of them. One, geographic considerations. The quarterbacks now, you know, California, Georgia has a ton of quarterbacks. Texas always has quarterbacks. And so are they going to go to, you know, the northeast or to the north and play in the Big Ten and a lot of cold weather games? I think that's definitely a consideration, um, you know, and, and, you know, I think a guy like Joe Milton could be a, a special prospect down the road. Um, but, you know, he he he's limiting himself to pro style quarterbacks. I don't think a lot of dual threat guys are going to go there and fit in that offense really well. I think that's another consideration that you have to take out. So, you know, half of the quarterbacks now in high school football pretty much aren't looking at Michigan because <clears throat> they're dual threat guys and, and he runs a pro style system. Um, you know, he was really close on JT Daniels. I thought if JT Daniels didn't have, you know, fantastic visits to USC leading up to his decision, Michigan was going to be the place that, that he ended up. So he's getting closer. Um, and, you know, I think those are pretty much the factors uh, that are playing into this in terms of he needs he needs a pro style quarterback and the pro style quarterbacks who are outstanding are playing in the southeast and st- are live in the southeast and stay in the southeast or live in California and stay in California. So, um, you know, when he breaks through, I don't know. I don't know if he does. I don't know if quarterbacks are concerned that the offense really doesn't look all that sharp um, and they don't want to get involved with that. 
obviously players want to play for Jim Harbaugh. He has a tremendous, you know, track record of getting players into the NFL. Um, he's worked well with quarterbacks before. Um, he's made very average quarterbacks look much better than they are. Um, but I think the, the, that regional geographic consideration and the offense are definitely playing into this. Well, explain to me Charlie Weiss then, you know, explain to me Bill O'Brien. You know, I mean, these are guys that lived off of their reputation working with Tom Brady. Charlie Weiss was able to get numerous five-star quarterbacks interested. Mitch Mustaine wanted to come. He, he sort of turned them away because of Jimmy Kloss, and they got Dane Christ. You know, Hackenberg went up to Penn State for Bill O'Brien and stayed through the, the sanctions. Um, you know, again, I'm not attacking Harbaugh for not getting one. I'm just puzzled by it. I can't yeah. figure it out, you know. It's a guy with an NFL pedigree. It's a guy who's worked with quarterbacks like Andrew Luck and, and Kaepernick and has had success with them and, and dual threats like Kaepernick. So it's not just that he has to get guys who are pure pocket guys. It just strikes me as odd. I still could never figure out why Spurrier couldn't get a guy. And I think that's the one thing that's missing when you look at Michigan recruiting. Again, Joe Milton may turn out to be the best thing ever. But we've seen him in person. His accuracy is a little bit all over the place. He's a bit of a project. Um, I'm just curious why this hasn't happened yet. It's not an attack, just a pure question. But explain to me Bill O'Brien and explain to me Charlie Weiss when you're talking about California quarterbacks or guys with offensive reputations who are able to get five stars to go to cold-weather places. Explain. Well Bill O'Brien got one guy and he was a regional guy. So Hackenberg doesn't count. And there's always been a connection to California guys going to Notre Dame. So that's not, that doesn't count either. If, if Michigan <laughs> state is, it, it doesn't count. count. They're five-star quarterbacks. They count. They and they all, they but they've always gone to play. Notre Dame. They've always gone to Notre Dame. So it's not that Charlie Weiss and Bill O'Brien had a secret to getting those guys. Hackenberg's from the area, and and California's always California kids have always gone to Notre Dame. Not for, for quarterbacks, very... not for five star quarterbacks. I mean, you know, big time guys were local, not local, local, but you know, regional. Uh, I I just think that that you know those are excuses. I, I you know again, I think Harbaugh can get one. I'm just curious why he hasn't yet, and and you know to me. Charlie Weiss certainly showed that he doesn't have the ability to succeed like Jim Harbaugh does. Bill O'Brien did a great job at Penn State for his couple of years before he bolted, but it just it's it's puzzling. But to say that you know uh, California quarterbacks flock to Notre Dame, I mean I I don't think that's true. Um, you know, but Charlie Weiss when he came in, pick of the litter. I remember the first year he took horrendous Zach Frazier. And Demetrius Jones, and he, but he could have picked from anybody, and he turned away a Southern kid in, in in Mitch Mustaine from Arkansas. So I mean, I just don't know why he's unable to get that guy yet. And and I think you know maybe I'm the only one asking that question, but to me it's very intriguing. Well, Mike, do do you see it happening anytime soon? I mean, if you look at our 2018 class, the only unsigned or uncommitted uh five stars justin fields and, and it doesn't seem like you know he's gonna end up at michigan next year 2019 jt daniels right now is the only five-star quarterback and he's already committed to usc so do you see that happening anytime soon like gorney said he's come close but close doesn't count i mean rosen visited before he committed so michigan fans thought they came close that wasn't close mm -hmm. 
we knew he wasn't going to go to Michigan. Uh, you know, Gorney knows JT Daniels better than anybody. He wasn't going to go to Michigan. Um, you know, I just I don't know if he's going to get one over the next couple of years. I think he needs to. I really do. I really do. Um, you know, he can develop average quarterbacks like Rudock and, and, and Spate into game managers, but he needs a quarterback that's going to win football games, especially when you're trailing uh, and can pull games out in the fourth quarter. And, and that doesn't appear to be there yet. Now, again, we'll see how Peters and McCaffrey do um, and on and on, but I just, I just don't understand yet why somebody out there is a five-star quarterback said, I, I, I want to go play for the guy who made Andrew Luck the number one pick in the NFL draft or who made, you know, Colin Kaepernick a, a Super Bowl uh, quarterback. It's just, it's just weird to me. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's uh, move on. Um, we had a, a topic you want to discuss. So, Mike, I'll let you kind of talk about that. With uh, Gorney had a tweet this week about Nick Saban, so I'll let you get into that. Yeah, Gorney. Gorney's <laughs> on my list. He's on my list. <laughs> oh, boy. Here we go. You know, the excuse is uh, regional quarterback for Bill O'Brien, and California quarterbacks flock to Notre Dame consistently. And No, now California players flock to Notre players. Dame. Players. Quarterbacks are different, though. Quarterbacks go everywhere. Quarterbacks go everywhere. Matthew Stafford went from Texas to Georgia. They find the right fit. Tom Brady went, you know, from California to Michigan. But anyways, we're done with that topic. I already destroyed you on that one. You should be okay. You should be, you should be cowering in a corner after I just. I've learned you. my lesson. Yes, you have. Now, Nick Saban, whether he makes eleven million dollars or not, has no responsibility despite what you tweeted, for the political uh, status of the world, period. If he wants to say, I don't want to talk about that, no comment, then that's the way it is. I don't understand where you came off with the tweet that, that said that he, he is responsible, like, like morally, ethically, and, 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 and politically responsible. So explain yourself. <laughs> about that tweet one i didn't say he was morally ethically or politically responsible all right all right what'd you say what i said and what i mean is that <clears throat> leaders of industry executives at technology companies every leader in any field that you can possibly imagine address topics and issues that are going on in society when a coach like nick saban and i, I have tremendous respect for him he's a phenomenal coach I think he's a great leader of men. All of the things that I can make, you know, compliments for him comes out and says in in a very charged environment where football players are kneeling for whether it's political injustice or police brutality or whatever the reasons are. And he has 75 men in his locker room and says, oh, well, I'm just a football coach. I don't get into those things. Now, he could be discussing these things privately with his team, and that's fine. He should come out and say what I say in the locker room stays there, and I'm not going to address it publicly. That's fine. But for him to be a, come out and say, you know, I'm, I'm just a football coach. I don't get into those topics. Let's talk about Ole Miss when everyone is talking about this. Dabo Swinney has commented on it. Urban Meyer has commented on the college basketball scandal. Everyone in, as a leader of whatever industry or field they're in talks about this. He has a responsibility to come out and either address it or say that he has talked to his team privately. 
I, I, I want to know what, what Nick Saban would feel like if players on his team felt that they needed to take a knee on Saturday's game against Ole Miss. Now, I don't know if those questions were asked in the press conference. Uh, do, do, would he kneel with them? Would he be against it? Would he be for it? But for him to come out and just say, well, I'm a football coach. I have no responsibility in this, and I don't want to talk about it. I think that's a dodge, and it's a little disingenuous. Yeah, and I think it makes him probably the smartest coach in college football. That's fine. There's no winning there. I mean, he could say what he means, uh, and people are going to attack it. He could say the opposite of what he feels, and people are going to attack it. Um you know, he doesn't have to say it, anything, Mike. He doesn't have to come out. He could say, "I've talked to my team said, private. I don't, I, I, I'm a football coach, and I don't get in. I don't know anything about those issues." Yeah, he did, that's what he said. He he doesn't have to say anything. He didn't say anything. He's he's the master of saying nothing, which is fine. This this reminds me of a debate that I heard between Stephen A. Smith and Max Kellerman on ESPN, oh boy. which made <laughs> me want to go through my television. This was a while ago, and they were talking about the the Kaepernick issue, and and they were talking about the the protest, which you know this was before Trump got involved in all this, and they said Max Kellerman said uh, that he was waiting for a superstar white quarterback to stand up for equality and make a big statement. And he pointed the finger at Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers and some other guys. And I was like, it's not their job to do that if they don't want to do that. They can do what they want to do. It's a free country. It's their choice just like it's Nick Saban's choice to duck the question. Now everybody's going to say, well, you're a Nick Saban apologist, and gee, that's why Alabama wins every recruiting ranking and all this. No, no, I thought it was a, I thought it was a dumb tweet. It actually took away, unfortunately, from our amazing podcast on Monday because your dumb tweet got on our main board, and everybody talked about it, and I saw you jumped in there, which was very brave of you for the first time. I think, also, also a mistake. Yeah, well, it's always a mistake, but going on there, <laughs> and 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 you went in there, and uh, you know, and then I'm like, well, listen, here's another link to our podcast. Ignore Gorney's dumb tweet, and listen to the podcast. So I'm addressing it now. Now I've always wanted you to be more opinionated. You know that I've talked to you for years about. Being but only opinionated. if my opinions are, are in line with yours. I think. <laughs> no, not in line. Just smart, and uh, that was not a smart tweet. If my wife come home comes home and asks me about what's going on in the world today, and I go, you know what, honey, I can't address that because I'm just a football recruiting analyst, and that's where my focus is. I mean, that's kind of disingenuous, don't you think? Yeah, but she's not a media member, and, and you're not doing that in public. <laughs> and you ignore her regardless, so it doesn't <laughs> that's really true too. <laughs> matter what question she asks. But still, again, in a public forum, you can answer however you want to answer, and I just think, listen, you're you're a little bit now. You've got a child. You're a little bit of a, you got a high horse. <laughs> high you're, horse. <laughs> you're, you're you're thinking about. I don't know how you got on a high horse because you're like five foot four. But somebody <laughs> boosted you up onto a high horse, and uh, now you're you're thinking of you know these worldly issues when what you should be doing is uh, writing articles and shutting up. So let's not tweet that anymore. Just lesson learned. That's why I wanted to address it. 
Well, I, I like Thank the God, responses. Right? If you read some, if you read some of the responses that he got, uh, someone says this is one of the worst takes of all time. <laughs> <laughs> good, good lord, this is an awful tweet. Awful. And there's another one. Another guy says, "There it is, the dumbest thing I've ever heard." <laughs> I like being called a cuck. And, yeah, uh, yeah, that's and, another good uh, one. A liberal, which if anyone knows me, that's pr- pretty much the furthest thing from the truth. But, uh, you know, that's how it goes. So second well, lesson learned today. Wow, this is really, I'm, I'm actually I'm really I kind of hope you keep, here. I hope I hope you keep tweeting like this because it gives me fodder for the show. And, <laughs> and, I, and I get to call you complete moron. Meanwhile, I'm tweeting about how uh, Vernon Hargraves is a bust. And, uh, you know, football, real, real football stuff. And Deshaun Kaiser leads the league or second in the league with interception ratio after every Notre, Notre Dame fan attacked me after he won the starting job in the preseason that Deshaun Kaiser is the next coming of, uh, you know, Tom Brady and, and, and all the Florida fans were mortified when I said Vernon Hargis wasn't big enough uh, and good enough to be an elite corner. And he's just been tooled on and owned his first year and now into his second year. Those Vikings receivers just danced on his head this past weekend. But you keep tweeting about, you know, political <laughs> correctness and what our our leaders should be tweeting about and, and answering questions about. And I'll just now, keep I'll, picking it I'll, apart. I'll tweet, Trevor Lawrence is good. Justin Fields is good. This, no. this guy is good. I want, you, I, good. I, want, I want you to keep tweeting dumb stuff because it's great for the show. <laughs> so let's get, let's dumb it down even more, Gorney. Yeah, that, that's what we need more of is politics and sports. So Nothing like having going. a colleague on your side. <laughs> uh, enough. Enough. Let's move. Move yeah, on. let's move on. Let's let's get to the games this weekend. Uh, we got a good Friday night schedule coming up. Um, uh, USC plays. I know you guys want to talk about the Clemson game, which is on Saturday. But let's get into those games. Uh, do you think Clemson is walking into a trap there? They play at Illinois. Uh, is it no? Not uh, Illinois. Virginia Tech. Tech. Sorry, Virginia Tech. There are no traps in Illinois. <laughs> 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 if Clemson Illinois is in, a trap. <laughs> maybe a trap for Nebraska, but it's not a trap for Clemson. Um, <laughs> I, it's a tough game. I mean, it's a seven-point line on the road at Blacksburg. That's tough. I mean, uh, you know, they really are a difficult crowd to deal with. It's a tremendous environment. You get Enter Sandman and probably, you know, Clemson fans will argue, but I think probably the best introduction of any – South Carolina fans will argue as well, but the best introduction of any – college football uh, team as they as they head on the field and I think it's it's a it's a trap but I think they're gonna survive the trap but I think that's going to be a real tight game and, and the only reason you got two quarterbacks that are sort of new and, and obviously breaking in and, and, and having ups and downs although uh, I think Virginia Tech's been a little bit more steady but they haven't played the schedule that Clemson's played it'll come down to defense and you have to feel the Clemson defense will win that game but it's going to be tight. Yeah, it's a great environment, and Clemson's going in to a really tough environment with a young quarterback, and a little bit unsure, you know, of how that's going to play out now. You know, Clemson rocked Louisville a couple weeks ago, and everybody thinks that that could happen at Virginia Tech, but Virginia Tech's defense is really just on another level, especially at home, I think. Um, I don't think, and I do agree with Mike on this one, um, 
I do think Clemson wins the game just because their defense is equally, or if not better than Virginia Tech's. Um, and, you know, I, I just think, you know, over four quarters, I think it's going to be a tight game. They're going to grind it out. And I think Clemson kind of peels away with a win there. How about Doreen O'Daniel? Um, if you remember, Doreen O'Daniel was in the same class as Kendall Fuller, who seems like he's been in the NFL for like six years now. And yeah. one one year ahead of Stefan Diggs, who seems like he's a seven, eight-year veteran in the NFL. And Dorian took the slow path, obviously, to success. But he's all over the football field. I think Christian Wilkins is the, the most exciting defender for me to watch. I love Derwin James as well and, and a few others. But Christian Wilkins is just so versatile and dominant as a frontline guy. But Dorian O'Daniel has been amazing. And it's really good to see because he's one of the nicest kids. Like, there's a list of nice kids that I've covered recruiting-wise. Deshaun Watson, of course, uh, donating his game check. Uh, Dorian O'Daniel's right up there. So it's great to see him. Uh, But, you know, I think that is the difference, uh, is the defense. And then speaking of no defense, uh, the USC game on Friday night should be very interesting. I don't know what the over is, but I would take it. I think it's 71. Um, A a lot of people have Washington State in this game, and and to be honest with you, I don't see it. Um, You know, this is a trap game, but it's only a trap game if if you don't expect it to be a trap game. And USC doesn't really play well on weekdays, I guess, but, um, you know, the talent that they have all over the field, it's only a four-point spread. I think they get. I think they go up there and get it done. It's going to be close for a while, and Washington State's going to score points. But I think there's. I'm sorry, the over/under is only 64, wow. which seems low. Um, but you know, USC's running game is going to be tough to stop. You know, a lot of people last year. It was funny. Had had Washington State upsetting Washington, and then Washington just went in there and absolutely annihilated them. I I don't see the same thing happening, but USC has too many skill players. Unless they just don't show up, um, I see USC winning that game and maybe pretty handily. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Vegas knows all, so if Vegas has that as a uh, oddly low over/under, and the line I think is a little bit low as well when you're talking about you know four points or whatever it is at this current rate. Uh, I know it's it's you know. It's a road favorite, but four seemed low to me. Uh, I think this could be a 21-point blowout. I think it really depends on the consistency of Darnold if he doesn't turn the ball over. The running game, as you said, should tear them apart. Um, And I think that defense has played okay. Um, I think they're going to start coming together a little bit more, and and I could see you know, Falk having a – three or four pick game. So I, I think it's not a trap game. I think USC is going to throttle them. Yeah, this was a Washington State team that lost, almost lost to Boise. I mean, really should have lost to Boise earlier this season. And, uh, you know, has, has obviously put up big points, but against two, Montana State, Oregon State, Nevada. So this is really their first true test, other than Boise State, who really didn't have that great of a uh, – a performance last week against Virginia and a loss at home. So uh, I think Washington State's a little untested. I think people are getting a little too excited about a Friday night upset in Pullman, which is going to be a difficult place to travel to and get to and play and all those kinds of things. But, you know, uh, it's still Washington State and it's still USC here. Yeah, and they're not walking there. I mean, they'll get there. I'm not worried about finding Pullman, Washington for USC. But the other 
you know, Friday night games of interest, uh, you know, Duke and Miami, and then, of course, Nebraska and Illinois. Um, you know, the Nebraska situation, who knows where they're at with that. Um, I think, you know, beating Rutgers was obviously crucial because had he lost to Rutgers, had he lost to Illinois interim or no, there would have been a lot of pressure to just end it right now. Um, they're going to beat Illinois. I think they'll have no problem there. Um, Miami Duke is interesting, though. But um, Duke's been playing well. But I think I think Miami's going to croak them. Um, you know, I like the quarterback play, but I love Mark Walton, and I think he's going to run all over him. Yeah, I was looking at this game in, in preparation for this podcast, all, all the preparation that I do for this. Prep. And uh, he uh, he has been putting up big-time numbers in only two games. Um, Duke Duke has been playing great football, though, but uh, surprising what they did against Northwestern earlier this season, just blowing them out. And then, honestly, a little bit surprising that they went to North Carolina and, and won and held down that offense a little bit. I know they've been dealing with a ton of injuries and stuff, but uh, I think Miami's a little bit of a different animal. You want to talk about a great defensive front. You want to talk about a running game that's clicking, and Malik Rogier has been able to throw the ball at least, you know, a little bit to get that offense moving. So, uh, you know, that's a seven-point spread, too. I don't know if Miami covers it. I don't think they blow Duke out. I think Duke's a little bit too, uh, you know, versatile to, to get blown out like that at, ho- at home on uh, on a Friday night. But, uh I do think Miami wins the game. I think they croak them. They croak them. Yeah. I think they cover. Nebraska-Illinois is interesting because Illinois is a bad football team. I saw them against USF, and they literally had like 20 penalties in the first quarter. They couldn't couldn't do anything right. Their offense can't move. Their defense just gets worn down. And, uh, you know, I don't care if Lovey Smith's the coach and Hardy Nickerson is there. They just... They just can't stop anybody, and they can't move the ball. So if Nebraska could figure out any way, and I know we've talked about Tanner Lee just throwing it to the other team, uh, if they could figure out any way to do anything, that they win that game handily, I think. Just don't let them throw. Yeah. All you have to do is run the ball against Illinois, and you come away with a victory, period. So we'll see if they do that. My lock of the week, uh, I think I picked uh, Oklahoma State laying nine and a half against Texas Tech because I think they're going to be really angry. Uh, I think the Texas Tech, even though they're 3-0, and their defense is ready to be exposed. I think Gundy's going to want to put 50-plus up on them. Uh, and even if that bad Oklahoma State defense gives up 30-something, they'll still cover. I don't know what your lock of the week was. It's coming out tomorrow, right? Yeah, my lock of the week was uh, also in the Big 12, Kansas State covering against Baylor. And, and the, the, it's really contrarian thinking here. Kansas State looked terrible against Vandy two weeks ago. Baylor looked very much improved against Oklahoma last week, but the line and, and everyone's on Baylor this week. But the line continues to shoot through the roof on Kansas State side. So you think that somebody knows something there? Kansas State has two weeks to prepare for Baylor. Baylor might be feeling a little bit better about themselves, and in a way that could be a bad thing uh, because they still don't have a lot of talent or players on that team. And uh, everybody thinks that Baylor's back a little bit after looking good against Oklahoma and Kansas State is down. And I think Kansas State handily beats them by at least uh, three or four touchdowns. All right, so pick a top 25 outright upset. No line. Just pick one. I'm going to go through here, and I'm going to pick it even though we have to pick one. That's the new rule. Last week I didn't pick NC State as an outright winner because I'm a wuss. 
I'm going to pick Northwestern to upset Wisconsin because I have to pick one. Even though they're 15.5-point dogs and it's at Wisconsin, I'm going to pick the upset there. So pick one out outright upset. Hmm. I'm tempted to go Northern Illinois over San Diego State, but I won't because because uh, <laughs> Dave is such a nice guy. But I, I well, you're not used to seeing San Diego State in the top twenty-five. <laughs> I couldn't either, believe so it. You know. I couldn't believe they were there, so I, I, I just took them. Uh, can we go Tennessee over Georgia? I mean, can, that that can definitely happen. That's a good one. Uh, I mean, they're underdogs. I don't, I don't think, but I don't think Butch Jones's team is going to lay down. So let's say. You know, a game in Knoxville, the team is definitely angry about how they played against UMass. I'm afraid that they're not that much better of a team than maybe what they showed. Um, and Georgia goes in there and just pounds the ball and and wins. But, uh, you know, Georgia's defense is very good, too. I, I expect a low-scoring game. Uh, Tennessee could have the ball in the last couple minutes and win that game. But I, I am actually a big Georgia fan. But if we're going to talk about a big a big time upset, I'm going to take Tennessee here. All right, so we got those two, and let's talk scandal, Dave Barry. Take us into scandal, and not the Gorney, uh, not the Gorney uh, uh, adult video that's making its rounds <laughs> the internet. Just other scandal than that. All right, well, so you know, obviously, the big story this week was with college hoops and and what's going on there. I want to know your guys' thoughts. Football obviously is a, a bit of a different animal. The, the guy, when you go into college, you've got to wait three years out of high school to, to go pro. So there is that that sort of delay. But still, what do you guys think? Is there is is this a problem in in college football recruiting? And how, if so, how pervasive is it? It is not. It could have become one, and now it won't. Um, you know, again, there was a lot of talk from the NCAA about seven on seven and they want to control that. And I remember it's been about a decade for now. They didn't want seven on seven to turn into AAU basketball. They didn't want seven on seven coaches that are affiliated with uh, whoever to be steering kids to wherever. Um, the NCAA did a good job, I think, of, of you know, regulating that, um, keeping that under control. Uh, and now that basketball has, you know, essentially cannibalized itself with this scandal, it'll never get to that level in football. And I think one of the big differences is, as you mentioned, three years versus one year. And and for a while there, it was no years, you know, where you could just go straight. But, um, I, I honestly think that this is good for college football horrible for basketball but really good for college football over the next five ten years because um you know it's gonna it's gonna force the ncaa to improve its enforcement department add uh people to its enforcement department it's gonna put every compliance office at every major football school on on guard and and you know uh, it's gonna make things a little tougher for us media folks but overall for the sport I think this is going to kill any chance of that happening. Yeah, I, I actually agree here because I think football dodged a bullet. Um, when I was a much younger man, I covered college basketball recruiting. And this stuff was really just <clears throat> starting to kick into high gear where, uh, you know, they call them handlers or hangers on or people. And it's kind of developed into, you know, investment advisors and clothing people and all kinds of just, you know, stories that you're hearing now about 
families wouldn't go on visits with without ten thousand dollars and they wouldn't go to a school they'd go to one school and get offered a hundred thousand dollars from an apparel company and and 150 from a from a different school so they'd go there and all kinds of things going on to the point that the fbi is now arresting people and talking about throwing assistant basketball coaches in jail so we're nowhere near that in football um, I, I had worried in the last five or so years about, um, you know, more and more people hanging around kids, getting involved with them much earlier. And obviously a lot of them are doing it for nefarious reasons. Um, but now that basketball has been exposed to this level and, and we don't even know this is just starting. I mean, this is really tip of the iceberg stuff. If the FBI really wants to get involved in this and sink a lot of research dollars into it, they can really expose a real uh, underbelly of college basketball recruiting. And so I don't see that in college football recruiting for a couple reasons. One, you know, basketball is a global sport. And so, you know, the Nikes and the Adidas's of the world are, uh, you know, marketing these players globally. Uh, football is much more of an American sport, trying to break into Europe and, and into Mexico a little bit, but it's a little different. And then, uh, you know, I, I still think high school football coaches have a lot more control over what's going on with their kids year round um, than uh, than basketball coaches do. I mean, the AAU basketball season is pretty much as important as the high school basketball season, where I still believe that high school football is still more important than the seven on seven season, but it was trending in that way. So I think with this exposure that's been going on in basketball, uh, college football and and the the sport in it, kind of its entirety is really dodged a bullet here. And it'll make uh, families and coaches and kids less trusting of outsiders, which I think is important as well. Um, you know, we are outsiders, but we have a code of ethics where we don't get involved in the recruiting process. If anybody asks me my opinion, as we learned last week with Byron Coward asking me where <laughs> he should transfer to, you'll get nothing from me and like it. Um <laughs> You know, and that's just the way it is. Always been at rivals, but I know in this industry there are guys, and I'm not talking apparel or handlers. I'm talking recruiting guys who are just too chummy with kids, and I think everything is going to be pulled back a little bit. Uh, they're going to look at basketball, and every high school football coach is going to say, "See that? That's what could happen. Be careful who you trust, yeah. and be careful who you surround yourself with." And uh, like I said, it, it makes our job a little bit harder, but I think it's. It's good for football, bad for basketball. Yeah, I think staffs around the country, obviously basketball, I mean, there's no doubt about that, but football as well has kind of said, you know, if you're doing anything even that's uh, borderline uh, curious, uh, knock it off. No one knows who's listening on what phone lines. I mean, there were literally basketball coaches dragged out of their houses a few days ago, and we're talking about, uh, you know, five uh, you know, Rick Pitino had to was fired yesterday. The AD was fired, and I think more is to come. So I think a lot of coaches are really kind of getting a wake up call about exactly how serious this could be. And and for football, that's a good thing because it didn't get to that level yet. Yeah, definitely a good thing for football. You know, uh, the, the, no no repercussions on them, but you know, putting everybody on watch. So. Well, with that, we'll get, we got to get out of here. I know Gorney has a phone call with Nick Saban to talk about things like global warming and North Korea. So I know, Gorney, you, you go ahead and ask him about that. We'll get, a, we'll get back to you guys next week with another edition of the Godfather and Gorney podcast.